Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 12, says the following in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also in vain. And for Christians, we are blessedly assured that our Jesus rose up physically. That is the hallmark of the Christian faith. And Paul tells his uh, recipients of this letter that through this resurrection, we have hope. And it's the same power during the first century that occurred with Jesus Christ is still affecting Christians today. It's that residual power of the resurrection. But more importantly, uh, his physical resurrection was a reality. Uh, people saw him and, and they were witness to his physical resurrection. And so today we wanted to talk about uh, the top 10 arguments for the resurrection of Christ we have a special guest. Uh, we, we'll be talking to Brother Bob Duco. Uh, he's the host of the Bob Duco Show, uh, Prime Time with Bob Duco, Defending the Truth with Bob Duco, and his show airs nationally across the country. Uh, one thing I love about our dear brother is that he's interested in not just talking about uh, Christ through faith, but also helping us to reconcile truth, logic, reason, uh, historicity and facts. So let's welcome our dear brother Bob Duco. Brother Bob, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on with you, Perseus. Thank you for coming on Sound Reasoning. So my first question is: uh, First of all, what was the impetus for for uh, coming up with these ten arguments? What motivated you to come up with these arguments? Well, I uh, honestly, I've been studying apologetics for a long time. I mean, when I, when I was first saved, I was 19 years old when I responded to an altar call, mm. but I, I totally admit early on, I was uh, kind of skeptical even after I accepted the Lord. And I remember <laughs> saying to my girlfriend at the time, who's now my, my wife of 33 years, I said, how do I know what we believe mm. is actually really true? I mean, you know, the Muslims think mm. they're right. The Hindus think they're right. The Buddhists think they're right. The right. Christians think they're right. How do I know we're not just believing the religion of choice of Western society? Right. And so that's kind of what got me looking into this and researching and studying. And, and the more I dissected the Bible and history and archaeology and science, the more I just became aware of the fact that, oh, my goodness, this this is really true. And so the, the top ten proofs uh, pretty much came about because I, I know a lot of people sometimes get confused by apologetics. Right. Sometimes it can be a little bit technical and a little bit confusing for people. And 
one of the things I try to do on my show is I, I translate everything into simple fifth grade language. Mm-hmm. You know, how to see Dick and Jane run, so everybody kind of <laughs> understands very easily how. Because what I want, honestly, person, I want to make sure that people can trans transfer the information. It's not enough for an apologist, and you as an apologist, and me as an apologist. It's not enough for us to just kind of you know, dazzle people with a bunch of facts Amen. if they don't retain the information and then can turn around and transfer that information to the people that they talk to. So I kind of thought, how do I really simplify apologetics? And I thought, well, let's see, everybody's heard of top 10, okay, top 10 lists. We mm-hmm. all know that. So what are 10 basic evidences and arguments to prove what we as Christians believe uh, using science, logic, facts, history, and intellectual reasoning. And so there's a lot of different topics, but one of those topics is the top ten proofs for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I, 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 for me it's just about trying to simplify it so that people understand this is real documented evidence, but it's also presented in simple fifth-grade language. You know, I really appreciate uh, what you just said. I, I, too, believe in lifestyle apologetics, making things plain. Uh, right. So uh, a common person, Christian, can grab it and, and uh, be better for it. So we're going to get started. And again, uh, we'll be dealing with the top 10 arguments for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you would like the audio CD, uh, you can go to uh, Brother Bob uh, Duco's website and obtain it from there. So the number one argument was the Bible is a historical document. What does that mean? Well, people need to understand that the Bible, where we recognize the Bible as the Word of God. Okay, of course. And we recognize it as inspired by God. But it's also a book of history. And people need to realize, even if you're an atheist, you have to accept the fact that the Bible is a collection of writings from people who actually documented in history what was going on around them. And so when I look at the the Bible, I recognize the gospel accounts are actual historical records from people that were there, right. eyewitnesses. I mean, Matthew was an eyewitness, okay? John was an eyewitness. Peter was an eyewitness. James was an eyewitness. Jude was an eyewitness. All right, Luke was right there as a contemporary talking with like an investigative reporter interviewing and talking to all of the eyewitnesses who were there. All right, Mark was there with Peter. Uh, I mean, these are the people that were there, and they recorded in history multiple people from multiple sources that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that he, after he rose from the dead, he was seen not by one, not by two, not by ten, but 500 brethren, and that's just men. That doesn't include women and children. At the time the Bible was written, uh, anyone who wrote down crowd sizes, they only tabulated the number of men in a room. So people need to understand, if if there were... 100 people in a room, 50 men and 50 women, somebody would write down there were 50 brethren in the room. Sorry, right. ladies, but that's that's just how it is. So he was seen by 500 men, which means you factor in women and children. Jesus was seen by anywhere from one to 2,000 people over the span of 40 days, documented in history by eyewitnesses who were there and recorded during the lifetimes of the eyewitnesses who were 
and the skeptics who could refute something like this. So we got to understand the Bible's not just a quote unquote religious book. Even if you're an atheist, it's a history book from eyewitnesses that were there that were writing what they saw. That can't be dismissed. Amen. I appreciate you unpackaging that aspect of the argument that our Bible, of course, is the inspired word of God, but it's also a historical document. And right. we find history by reading the Bible, uh, history that even secular um, information doesn't provide. So we thank you for that. So my second question deals with your second argument, and that's the Bible's account of Jesus' resurrection. Does it meet the standard of historicity, and why is that important? Uh, because what historians what historians use, whether you're atheist historians, Christian historians, secular, it makes no difference. Historians have a certain standard that they apply to determining what happened in ancient history. You know, let's face it, neither of us were there. We weren't there 2,000 <laughs> years ago. Right. So technically, we can't, quote-unquote, prove anything that happened. Uh, but in the same way, as I tell people, I, look, I can't prove to you that George Washington was president of the United States. Technically, I can't prove that to you because I wasn't there right. and neither were you. Right. And so all we can do is wh what historians do is they say, here's some basic criteria to determine if something actually happened in the past. We look at how many corroborating documents and manuscripts there are supporting an event, and then you contrast that with how many documents and supporting, uh, how many documents and manuscripts are there refuting those events, and then the third criteria is how long after the events were they recorded. And so if you use that criteria that pretty much all historians use, my, my uh, response is let's then compare the Bible, specifically the New Testament, to other things in history that, that historians accept as rock solid. For example, the, the, uh, the earliest biographies of Alexander the Great were written 400 years after his death, mm -hmm. and historians accept them as solid. The events in the Iliad by Homer are considered one, some of the most historically validated events in ancient history, and there's, that's because there's 643 corroborating documents and manuscripts supporting the events in the Iliad by Homer, and the earliest recordings happened 500 years after the events. The Gallic Wars of Julius Caesar are accepted by historians. Uh, there's 10 documents and manuscripts supporting the Gallic Wars of Julius Caesar, and the earliest was recorded a thousand years after the events. Right. So if you look at those things in history, uh, historians accept them as solid. You get to the New Testament of the Bible, there's over 24,000 corroborating documents and manuscripts uh, of the New Testament of the Bible, and the earliest recordings began being recorded as early as 15 to 25 years after the events, during the lifetimes of eyewitnesses. So as far as the standards that historians use to determine something that happened in ancient history, you cannot get more authenticated than the events of the New Testament of the Bible. And I appreciate you saying that if an individual is truly, uh, if they truly endeavor to be objective, they have to look at the historicity of the New Testament 
if if they're not coming to it with any right. prior biases, there's no way you can look at the New Testament and the events that it records and the the time and the people that it talks about and come come away with any other conclusion than this, this thing is, is is true. These reports are true. So we really appreciate what you what you're sharing with us, and I'm hoping my listeners are paying attention. Uh, to this data, because as we try to witness to our neighbors, as we try to witness to our co-workers, as we try to witness to our own family members, oftentimes these questions come up, and they're not trying to be argumentative. Some people truly are sincere, and they have these questions about our Christian faith. So we are hoping that this information is is blessing those who are listening. Right. Question number three, um, the resurrection was historically documented by eyewitnesses, and how does that buttress our argument for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, if you think about it, there's kind of a, a common-sense reality to this. All right? you, you don't get much better than eyewitnesses. Mm-hmm. In, in any court of law, if somebody's on trial for something, if you're trying to determine if something actually happened or not in a court of law, uh, any any prosecuting attorney or a defense attorney, anybody trying to prove their case, what they're begging for is somebody that's an actual eyewitness. If somebody says, I was there, I saw this with my own eyes. If somebody's describing from firsthand accounts of what they actually saw and experienced, uh, that makes it extremely strong evidence. And as I mentioned before, Matthew is an actual eyewitness, right? Mark is a contemporary of Peter. Peter, an actual eyewitness walking with Jesus. Right. Uh, John was an actual eyewitness. He was there. James was an eyewitness. Jude was an eyewitness. I mean, these are people that were actually there, saw, saw these things with their own eyes. They, uh, they experienced this with, with their own, in their own lives, and then they recorded and documented this information during the lifetimes of the people that were around. Now, that matters a lot because, you know, I, I, I think to myself, well, you know, people say that, you know, these were written, well, 15, 20, 25 years later, in some cases maybe 30 years later. How's somebody going to remember those kind of details that much later? And I, I think, well, hold on a second. I, if you, I'm 56 years old. If you ask me about the day that – if you ask me what I had for dinner last Tuesday – I'll level with you. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> You're not the only one. Last Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. However, if you ask me about the day Ronald Reagan was shot, mm-hmm. I can tell you exactly where I was when that happened. If you ask me about the day I met my wife for the first time, this is uh, 36 years ago, I can tell you exactly where we were, what she was wearing, the conversation we had. I can tell you the details of when my first child was born, my daughter Colleen, my first words I spoke to her. Why can I remember those details with that much specificity, but I can't remember what I had for dinner last Tuesday? And it's because those other events are big events in my life. When big, important events happen in your life, they tend to get burned Mm. into your memory. And I'm thinking a guy walking on the water (laughs) is the kind of event you tend to remember the rest of your life. If I can remember Ronald Reagan getting shot the rest of my life, I'm going to remember Jesus saying to Lazarus, or Jesus telling Lazarus, come out of that grave, come forth, changing the weather with his spoken word. 
those are things that's like, I, I could see the disciples leaning over going, I will never forget. <laughs> I mean, they're going to remember the barometric pressure that day. You remember details like that. Right. So they were there, they saw this, they're eyewitnesses, and then they recorded it during the lifetimes of eyewitnesses. And there's plenty of other people around to go, well, I was there 20 years ago, 25 years ago. This isn't how it happened. But there's nothing like that that's ever been found in archaeology, epigraphy, or any writings anywhere. Thank you for that. Uh, it's crystal clear the way that you painted the picture. Now, the next question is tied into this uh, previous one, which is uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true because the lives of the disciples changed. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, think about it for a moment here. If we just look at this logically, okay, the disciples, before Jesus was crucified, the disciples weren't exactly the bravest people in the world. I mean, right. think about that they were kind of cowardly to a certain extent, right? They, uh, Peter, Peter denied Jesus three times. I don't even know who he is, okay? That's how cowardly Peter was. And guess what? When, when they were all out in the boat in the storm, Peter was the only one brave enough to get out on the water with Jesus. Right. So Peter was the bravest one of them, and the bravest one of them was so cowardly, he didn't even uh, admit knowing Jesus, and this is why Jesus was still alive. So let's think about it logically. Jesus gets crucified, and let's pretend hypothetically that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Let's pretend he, he, he he didn't. And so now it's been three days. Now it's been four days. Now it's been five days. It's been two weeks, and he's still in the grave. What are the, You don't need a degree in human psychology to figure this out. What are the disciples going to be thinking? They're going to be thinking, okay, well, this is kind of embarrassing. Right. We, you know, he, he said that he was going to rise from the dead, but Jesus at this point would be proven false. He'd be proven a fraud. The disciples would realize Jesus was not who he claimed to be, because he claimed before Abraham was born, I am. Mm -hmm. He claimed he was the Messiah. He claimed he would rise from the dead, and it's been two weeks, and he did not rise from the dead. So it turns out Jesus was not who we thought he was. He was not God on earth. So if the disciples now realize that Jesus was a fraud why in the world would these cowardly disciples now suddenly be so bold, so brave, that they're preaching and proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the point of their own martyrdom and death? Mm -hmm. There's no book deals. There's no movie deals. There's no money in it for them. What they're going to do is be beaten, crucified, tortured, martyred. No one gets tortured and killed for something that they know is a lie. Uh, I mean, you don't need a degree in human psychology to, to figure this out. There are people that die for lies all the time, but they think they're true. You know, the suicide bomber thinks he's going to get 72 virgins in paradise, right? The, the people think that, a, but for somebody who knows that something is a lie, nobody dies for that. And the disciples, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the, the disciples know that it's a lie. They know he didn't rise. They know he was a fraud. And they're going to allow themselves to be tortured and killed for something that they already know is a lie? That's illogical. Not, no one person is going to do that, let alone all of them. Amen. Thank you for that. Uh, we're almost out of time for this episode, but we'll continue on the next episode on the 10 arguments 
for the resurrection of Jesus Christ with our dear brother, Bob Duco. Now, Bob, uh, we only have a couple of minutes, but I wanted to uh, ask you, with the change in the lives of the disciples, how, how does that relate to the change in us in contem- uh, contemporary uh, society? Well, I think that if we have an encounter with the true risen Jesus Christ, then it ought to completely change our lives. It ought to make us more bold. If we re- The disciples suddenly got bold and brave mm. and were willing to die for the Lord because they saw that he was risen. They knew that he was alive. And so, therefore, that gave them confidence to say, I'm going to defend and argue for Jesus Christ even to the point of my own death because they know that it's real. So for us... We have to decide, is my faith in Christ real or not? Mm. Do I believe it? Have I truly accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Or am I really just living my life for myself and kind of taking Jesus along for comfort? Well, it doesn't work that way. If we're living our life for ourselves and we're really our own Lord, then when mm. we face the trials and tribulations of life, we're not going to be equipped for that. Amen. But if we if we truly have given our lives to Him, uh, and it's really about Him, then it doesn't matter what happens in my life. It doesn't matter what kind of calamity hits. It doesn't matter what kind of disasters or tragedy or anything else. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I know that He's on His throne no matter what, and that gives me a sense of peace and confidence and comfort in anything that that, uh, that I face in life. So it ought to change us to be more bold and more confident for him in anything we face. Amen. Uh, we just concluded our first uh, show with Brother Bob Duco. Uh, he's going to stand by for our next episode. But for those that are listening, uh, I hope that this information, these facts are uh, taken heed of so we can bless our lives or our lives can be made better because now we have some more ammunition to go forth and live our lives and to be able to answer the questions that each man or woman may have. And as always, for those that listen to Sound Reason Radio Show, we ask that if the Holy Spirit touches your heart, you consider uh, becoming a partner and donate towards this ministry. It's uh, listener supported and we thank you for praying for us and encouraging us in this endeavor to train Christians in sound doctrine. So we ask uh, that you do for the truth what others do for a lie. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. 
Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Hello, this is Dr. Doug Grotheis, host of Truth Tribe, where we seek the truth through reason and evidence about what matters most. And we are not tribal since truth is for everyone. Please join me at the Truth Tribe as I discuss the reasons for Christian faith, the Christian worldview, and moral issues such as abortion and gender ideology. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search Truth Tribe on your favorite podcast app. 